Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Chávez le puede pegar, Chávez le cae la zurda. Atención, Chávez a puerta, Chávez dejó el rebote, Oscar. That was Pachuca's third goal, Roberto de la Rosa with the nail in the coffin for Club America. Final score 3 0. In Estadio Azteca, first loss for Club America in over a year at Estadio Azteca. Ironically, last loss came at the hands of Pachuca. I'm your host, Hercules Gomez, and you're listening to Vamos, presented by Bud Light. Easy to drink, easy to enjoy. This is our very first episode. This podcast, made for you, the multicultural soccer fan. So join us as we dive deep into soccer in the U.S., Canada, and football down south, as only we can do. No fear, sin miedo. So what are you waiting for? Vamos. There's some exciting news for U.S. soccer to start. Our colleague Doug McIntyre from Fox Sports is reporting that U.S. soccer is considering former U.S. men's national defender Oguchi Unweyu for the role of sporting director, a position that was held by Ernie Stewart a few weeks ago. He has since departed for Dutch club PSV Eindhoven in the Eredivisie in the wake of a scandal involving Greg Berhalter and the Reinas. All right, all right. So let's talk about Gooch. When Doug McIntyre first reported that Gooch was a candidate for the position, I saw a lot of reactions online. Mixed, to say the least. Many questioned his credentials, which is okay. It's fair. It's actually more than fair. I get it. He's 40 years old, and he's only had two stints as a sporting director or its equivalent. Orlando B in 2018 and Royal Excelsior Verten, a football club in the Belgian second division. And I know, we have to mention, he is on the board of U.S. soccer, his first term. I get it. It seems like a conflict of interest. But if you go and actually see what he did on this board or happened in his first term. They passed new policies like higher inequity, improving diverse representation with U.S. soccer, and also the discriminatory chant policy. So while I understand there are some reservations and you can knock the guy's resume, you can knock how thin it is, not for one second can you act like this guy is part of an old regime. I saw some crazy stuff. Who is this guy? Somebody ignorantly asked online. This really made me laugh. Who's a guy who played 15 years, France, Belgium, Serie A, Premier League, Portugal, Spain, obviously in the U.S., multi-World Cups, 69 caps. I mean, as a player, he wasn't just some guy. He was an actual, legit defender. And if not for injuries, could have had a ridiculous career. Moments like this is what I remember.
That's Gooch scoring the winner against Honduras in the 92nd minute of the 2005 Gold Cup to send the U.S. into the final where they beat Panama in penalties. Some even question Gooch as being part of the good old boys regime, like nepotism was somehow involved. This is just insane. We're coming off an era in U.S. soccer where the majority of people who have gotten chances in U.N. soccer are somehow tied to the 90s, ex-players from the 90s all from the same area, New Jersey, all continue to be recycled within U.S. soccer in some way, shape, or form. And some question if he's part of the good old boys regime, like if he's getting this only because he's the next player, which is also comical because Sunil Gulati used to be the one calling the shots. There used to be no sporting director, no GM, just Sunil, the U.S. soccer president. And back then, people would cry about how soccer people should be the ones running the federation, ex-players. That's what Gooch is. He's a soccer person. Here's another reality. A lot of the candidates for this position, regardless of country, may only have club football experience. That's just a reality. And viable candidates that we know of, like Peter Vermees of Sporting Kansas City and Urs Tanner of the Philly Union, they didn't even want to interview for the job. They don't even want to get out of bed and say, sure, I'll hear you out. This job pays about just under 800K, at least according to fiscal reports. So why is this not as attractive as one might think? We don't know. There's clearly something. I have a theory. I don't expect there to be a GM position on the men's side. In fact, U.S. Soccer's not even mentioned anything about that position, a position once held by Brian McBride, who stepped down in January. There's only been talk about the U.S. men's national team coach and sporting director. So there's no GM. So if there's no GM, those duties would fall to current U.S. Soccer CEO, J.T. Batson. So the sporting director would essentially do what? Pick up the phone, call clubs, be that bridge between the club and the pool logistics for camps, deciding on or having input on where they play, style of the program, and ultimately what? Picking the coach. That would be the responsibilities. If that. I mean, is that enough to really get the likes of Peter Vermees, Ernst Tanner, maybe a Dennis DeClose, or any other viable candidate out there, Garth Lagaway, to really think he can mold a program, do what he needs to do in his own image? Clearly, it's not enough. Gooch may not be the person for this job, and that's okay. You can judge him on his resume, how thin you think that is, and that's more than fair. But it's not crazy to think that a person with a background as a player of 15 years at the highest of levels in multiple cultures, with experience as a sporting director, however thin you may think that is, who's made connections and learned about different cultures in football, who speaks three different languages, with an international business degree, and yes, knows about the inner workings of the Federation from being on the board, wouldn't be somebody that is worth talking to. Question whatever you want. You be the judge. But it's not crazy to think that U.S. soccer shouldn't be exploring every possible candidate. That is the Chivas Anthem, composed by Señor Alejandro Neve and performed by the Mariachi Nuevo Tecatlitlan. This week, we're talking about Chivas, El Rebaño Sagrado, El Orgullo Mexicano, the National Pride, a sleeping giant no one expected to do well this season. But they've won four in a row and are one of the hottest teams in all of Mexico. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Chivas, 12 titles, is one of the biggest clubs in Mexico along with Club America, 13 titles. I had to throw that in there. Not that I wanted to. Their fan base is one of the most loyal historically, Los Chiva Hermanos. 
And one of the main reasons Chivas is considered one of the most popular teams in Liga Mekis is due to the tradition of fielding only Mexican players. It's a practice similar to teams like Atletico Bilbao in Spain, who also field only local Basque players. Imagine an MLS franchise that adopts this kind of policy. Only Americans in New York City, there would be an uproar. This would never happen for a plethora of reasons. A discriminatory practice, they would say. This is not the case for Chivas. This is not the case in Mexico. Liga Mekis is very much a league filled with a lot of great foreign talent. But oftentimes that same foreign talent is limiting the opportunities for these Mexican players to develop. Even with the limitations of only using Mexican talent, Chivas is a massive brand in Mexico. It's insanely popular. But that popularity has been dwindling since their last title in 2017. Only two league titles this century. A beautiful stadium, El Estadio Akram, but the games look empty. Fans no longer go. Not like they used to. Bad results will do that to a fan's morale. And again, this season, everybody thought they would struggle. Inconsistent performances at the beginning of the tournament with the lack of effective goal scorers. It's been a cause of concern for the fans. No excitement, no buzz. Another down season for the Sleeping Giants. Until... Chivas está en fuego. They're on fire. 2023 started with the revamp for Chivas staff. Hiring Spanish national team and Real Madrid sporting director Fernando Hierro and Velko Panovic, the former Chicago Fire manager. Yes, that Chicago Fire manager. Chivas' positive start this tournament was slow. Three draws in a row, but they've since found their form, winning four out of five, including big wins over league leaders Monterrey and Tigres, both coming away. And they just pounded Santos at home, which has everyone talking about Chivas. Chivas currently sit third in the regular season standings, tied with Tigres, two points above Pachuca, last season's champion. El Rebaño Sagrado are in contention to seal an automatic qualification in Liga MX playoffs. This is the club's best start in the Liga MX tournament for over a decade. We all kept asking ourselves if Chivas was for real under Chicago Fire ex-coach Velko Panovic. If they can compete without a proven nine. How would they respond to Alexis Vega, their best player going down with an knee injury in the first month of the season? Can they make Liga playoffs? Can they do it automatically? To do that, they would have to make a top four finish. I've stopped doubting Chivas. I've decided it's theirs to choke away. That's how convincing they've been. And with the exception of having to face the bitter rivals Club America, the rest of the opponents in the remaining schedule are positioned mid-table down. I'm talking bottom at best. For the first time in a very long time, Los Chivas Hermanos have something to smile about. So vamos, mis Chivas. That was from the Pitch to the Plaza, part of the pregame show hosted by Grammy award-winning artist Anderson Pack and producer DJ Metro Boomin. Pumping up the crowd in St. Louis before that big 3-1 win against Charlotte. On their first home game this past Saturday, March 3rd, second win in a row, six points in two games. Way to start for St. Louis City SC. To talk more about some of these electric atmospheres we're seeing in new franchises and what some of the old heads in the original clubs in the league could learn from them, I'm here today with Pablo Maurer of The Athletic. My man, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Herc. Good to see you. First, I'm sure you saw the atmosphere in St. Louis. Give me your overall impressions of what that was like to you, how ridiculous that was. It seemed like a pretty wild scene. It's it's strange in that we have one of these games every year, I guess, and it seems like, by and large, all these teams enter the league somehow with sizable followings already. So I wouldn't say it was anything sort of out of the ordinary in terms of what you expect from an MLS expansion franchise at this point, but it was wild. I mean, I guess it helped that, you know, they were getting the ball passed to them inside the box by the other team. It's just like <laughs> bizarre string of uh, quasi own goals they've benefited from in the past couple of weeks. But yeah, obviously it's hardening to see. 
right, that's what I want to talk about because obviously uh, it seems like every time an expansion team comes into Major League Soccer, it almost feels easier to succeed than some of these teams that have already been around for a while. And uh, your article with Paul Tenorio, which was a great article on The Athletic, you guys should check that out. You spoke about governance changes with Commissioner Don Garber. Commissioner Garber had this to say. Those changes are part of a larger project related to governance out of which a club performance group will be launched. An MLS university, so to speak, a concept to help guide these clubs and ensure that owners are aligned on doing what they need to do to drive the relevance and to drive the business forward and to make the right investments so that our teams are more meaningful in their markets. That's what Garber said. All right. Let's dive into this MLS University, if you will, this performance group. Is it identifying underperforming MLS franchises and, and teaching them how to be successful? You know, on Twitter in the piece, I use DC United as an example, but I mean, there's, there's any number of franchises. I mean, like, I, I would say the bulk of the MLS originals and some of the older, you know, even so, some of those teams that joined a few years after 96 are kind of struggling uh, relevance-wise. I mean, MLS has always sort of leaned on the newer, sexier teams to kind of craft the image of the whole league. I mean, you see full stadiums and, uh, you know, at LAFC or even you go back further, Seattle, teams like that, Um, Austin, a newer team that sells out a lot, Nashville. But in the background there, I mean, you have those teams like DC, New York Red Bulls, another one, FC Dallas, Colorado Rapids, all these teams that are I mean, to put it bluntly, man, kind of irrelevant in their market. I do think this club performance group thing is, is I guess, aimed at maybe trying to get some of these lagging, underperforming teams back in shape. If only it were that simple. I, I don't even know what this sort of club performance group or, you know, so-called MLS university is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to have any teeth, right? I mean, like, are there penalties for not hitting attendance metrics or X, Y, and Z thing? I mean, who knows? But, I mean, I'll say point blank. It's good to hear the league office talking about this because previous years, I mean, there's almost not even an acknowledgement that you have these franchises that are just sort of withering away after after years. Some of these clubs are, are, are sleeping giants, though. The San Jose Earthquakes of the world, the D.C. Uniteds of the world. Like, I remember growing up in Vegas, I had El Salvadorian friends and all my El Salvadorian friends were D.C. United fans. I'm talking about Raul Diaz Arce, you know. Posters on the wall, Echeverry, posters everywhere, talking about the Barra Brava and they've never been to D.C. Man, what is it? Four four MLS Cups, three Open Cups, a CONCACAF Champions Cup, the Copa Interamericana, for those of you who don't know, that was at Vasco de Gama, the glory years. Like, that was a legit team. You know, D.C. to me probably is the most glaring example of all these teams because of the market. Because the market is, like, multicultural, soccer-savvy, their, their deep roots here, the history of the game here is, is crazy, you know? So, you know, if you look back on those glory years and even maybe some of those years in the mid-2000s, the amount of, I guess, goodwill that has sort of been squandered in this market is is insane. I mean, you you know, on Football America, Sebi talks about it all the time. You used to go play there and there were like flares in the stands, smokes coming out like the yeah. San Siro. You thought you were all of a sudden in South America. Like La Barra Brava was dancing, it was present, it was vibrant. And it was an RFK. There were years from, let's say, 2010 to 2018 where they just didn't put a good product on the field, man. And that's the thing about D.C. is we talk about – you talk about all that passion, all those fans. I talk about all that history. These people know, man. Like they're they're not – these are not fans that will just show up to watch a meddling side. You know, if you put a crap product out there, they resent that. 
All right, let's let's touch on those uh, big market teams, the Dallas's of the world, Chicago, Houston, even New York, and, and and it pains me to say Philly because Philly's actually successful, and I think they've got a very interesting model and do things in a very good way. But you need to be relevant in your market, especially Major League Soccer. They need to ha- have relevance in these major markets. I mean, how do you improve these markets? Look, let's start with, say, like Dallas and Colorado. I think those teams are hamstrung by their stadium in a way. They are remnants of this MLS 1.0 where the soccer-specific stadiums were these exurban things, part of bigger developments. And, I mean, we got to say this, like, the stadium, you know, new stadium isn't like a panacea for everything. I mean, you got to look at the Houston Dynamo when you talk about that. They're in, like, one of the biggest stadiums in America, you know, biggest cities, excuse me, in America. Again, diverse, multicultural, long soccer history. And, you know, a lot of times they can't get anybody to come to that stadium. So it's it's tricky, man. It's like if there were a silver bullet solution to this, man, I, I would tell you, but it's it's complicated. Maybe they can figure it out. Maybe the professors at MLS University can figure this one out for us. <laughs> it's sad because uh, as a player in the league, uh, when I used to play in Major League Soccer, we had like a term between us, Soccer Saturday. And there was nothing worse than playing soccer on a Saturday at 1 p.m., in Dallas, and that humidity on that hard field, those moments, you know, remember back then when when MLS used to cater for that Soccer Saturday audience, and listen, it, it pains me to, to say, but you're right about Colorado. Man, I scored the first goal in the history of that stadium, so I want to, I want to see it be around for 100 years. The outswinger. But it's not a viable solution for the Colorado Rapids for them to be successful in that market. It's in Commerce City. It it's a little ways out. It's hard to get to. It's hard to get out of. Back when I used to play, you could see wild buffalo roaming around. So you know <laughs> it, it, it is what it is, and and it needs to change. <laughs> While I have you here, Paul and yourself with the Athletics spoke to Don Garber and brought up Messi. I know today, alongside Felipe Cardenas, you had another. Uh, Messi article drop in The Athletic, and I encourage everybody to go check that out. Messi to MLS, specifically to Inter. Obviously, this topic was going to come up with the commissioner. He mentioned how creative they might have to get to actually land him. He actually went into detail about David Beckham's deal back in the day with the LA Galaxy, which was, correct me if I'm wrong, five years, $250 million, with an option to buy a franchise, an MLS franchise, at $25 million. But he had to play all five years for that trigger to be activated. So my question to you is, just how creative will Major League Soccer have to be to get messy? And what do you think that creativity will entail? Well, so I mean, I've done a lot of reporting around this. And I think part of what Felipe and I talked about in the piece is you can't get a straight answer to anybody. But my impression is that they're offering him a small ownership stake in the club. A couple sources put around 5%. I mean, think about that, dude. They move into that uh, that new stadium. Say the team is worth a billion or a billion and a half dollars in that new stadium. Five percent is a lot of money. It really motivates Messi. I feel like it motivates him to come to the U.S. in the near term, drive the value of the franchise up by playing well, by winning, by being invested. Um, it's a bigger return on his investment, you know. But I mean, I raised this in the piece, like. What's bizarre to me is, all right, well, you're setting a crazy precedent. If, this, if you give this guy 5% of an MLS team, if you're an agent out there, if you're an agent who reps like Mbappe, if you're coming to MLS, you're not doing this without a percentage of a team. To me, that's the way these right. things work. I heard talk of 
maybe cutting him in on some of the real estate around the stadium. You know, he, Messi already owns property in Miami and loves the place. So, but dude, it's going to take something wild to get him to turn down, you know, a hundred mil or something from Saudi Arabia. That's what it is, right? Because Ronaldo's what two hundred million a year in Saudi Arabia. Like that's crazy, insane crazy. money. Yeah. It's going to take something massive to bring Messi. So, my question here is: any chance of one of two things? Another franchise being offered. I've heard Las Vegas. We know that Jorge uh, Messi was with Don Garber, Commissioner Don Garber, in Vegas, in Las Vegas, for the final of the U.S. Men's National versus Mexico Gold Cup final in Vegas. Um, any talk about another franchise, maybe it being Vegas? Uh, and two, any chance of Apple stepping in here? Because it would be really interesting <laughs> for me to see Apple come in and offer a subscription-based you know, incentive for him on the back end to kind of sweeten the deal? Well, on the franchise thing, I mean, I just can't see it, dude, because when they offered Beckham that $25 million option, I mean, it was, you know, it was a good deal, but I mean, the expansion fee back then was like 50 or something like that. You look at the most recent deal in Charlotte, whatever it was, 365, I think. And I mean, I've done some reporting around San Diego, uh, by all indications, that's going to be 500 million plus, 550 million, something like that. Um, I think these fees are just too big. I mean, unless it's a thing where they tell Messi, uh, you know, we'll give you a franchise for 250 or something like that. But if you're Leo Messi, do you even really want to put that money into the league? You know, as far as the Apple thing, I don't know, man. Uh, I can tell you that you know I wasn't in these conversations, but. You have to imagine that when MLS was working out its most media, most recent media rights deal with Apple, the name Messi came up like dozens of times. I'm sure, right? You know, like right, um, right. It's you know, you see, you saw it in Garber's comments to to Paul and I. Um, the league is happy to be attached to this player. It does, you know, it's it's good for them image wise, right? And I'm sure they probably weaponize that when it comes to their most recent negotiations with Apple. I would mention. Herc, that um, somebody else reported on is Apple, I believe, has an opt-out of this agreement. Ooh. Again, I did some reporting around this, and from what I can discern, it seems to be tied to the number of subscriptions you know, that MLS will have after X number of years, right? And I tell you this much, man, the number of subscriptions I heard from multiple people, it's not something I was able to pin down and put in a piece, was what I would say unattainable. My view is if Apple wanted to bail on the MLS deal after a few years, they probably could, you know, assuming that all that stuff is, you know, is above board. Or they could maybe come to MLS and say, hey, you know what, let's renegotiate this. You know what I mean? These are smart people. They definitely need a messy type figure to drive those subscriptions. It would be great for the league. And if Don Garber can be the man to land Messi in the States, I will raise a Bud Light to him. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you this, um, Saudi Arabia, maybe not in... Uh, Messi's family's plans. Uh, PSG is a very tricky situation there. Uh, they seem to be leaving the door open to leave. Barcelona seems like it's non-existent. And while well, going back to Newell's, his childhood club, Rosario's not the safest place in the world right now. His wife, Antonella, her, her father's supermarket was actually shot up by organized crime. So definitely a lot of factors that could lead Messi to South Beach. And it's South Beach, Pablo. Who doesn't want to be in South Beach? It is undeniable that a place like Miami and a place like the United States still has this like mythical pull to athletes from abroad. It just does. I mean, it, you know, whether it should or it shouldn't, it does. And, and Miami in particular, uh, one of my colleagues, Chris Kamrani, wrote a, a great piece about 
how Miami is just becoming like the hotspot for particularly South American footballers to come vacation, that sort of stuff. Argentina, they're building a training base in Miami. I mean, um, it's sort of a slam dunk for Messi. I mean, I think Inter-Miami knows they have that in their favor. It's not all about the money. You could make an insane amount of money in Saudi Arabia, or you could make probably marginally less and live in Miami. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer, right? But but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I'll tell you what's a no-brainer. Uh, checking your workouts, Pablo Mara of The Athletic. Good work at The Athletic. Pablo, thanks for being with us, my man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Men and Blazers, we like to believe more is more when it comes to football. Less effort in the playing, in which case, oh, less is always more. But one thing you can do to enhance even the effort and watching experience is to visit the GFOPs at Prize Picks. They're America's number one fantasy sports app. Test your skills on Prize Picks this season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you've got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Tappity taps, mostly just picking what categories you want Everton players to disappoint you in and smashing the less. Thing I love about Price Picks is, is how simple it is to use. They're now offering Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this soccer season. No more ferreting around in your wallet for that security code on your credit card that the computer never saves. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to a hundred dollars. That's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long-time staple in the Bennett refrigerator. Stoke cold brew coffee. Always bold. Always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse. Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar. Essentially, the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. Welcome to Drop That Bag, your ultimate sports betting guide. Can we pour a Bud Light out for our Haitian friends? My good pal Arch Bell, who's a senior writer for CONCACAF.com, just reminded us that Violet AC became the first Haitian club to win a match in CONCACAF Champions League era since 2008-2009 with their 3-0 drubbing of Austin FC. Austin decided to make eight changes and history was made. One of the most stunning score lines in the modern era of Champions League. Violet's AC was plus 3,200 to win. <laughs> so Bud Light to them. Let's take a look at some of the most attractive games for this week and see how much you can win. Take them individually or as a parlay. Real Madrid versus Espanyol. 
under two and a half total goals pace, plus 130. Cesar Montes, Mexican national team center back, and his Espanol take on Los Blancos. Rao has won eight of its last home games versus Espanol, and the under 2.5 market has hit a total of seven of the eight last La Liga games for Madrid. You secure that one. Moving on, Schalke versus Dortmund, over three and a half goals, pays plus 165. Listen, the last four games between the two have combined for three goals a game. All Dortmund goals. And Schalke has been playing better. Still in the relegation battle, but they've gotten massive results, including two straight wins where they've scored two goals in each. And Dortmund has just come from losing to Chelsea in the Champions League final. There will be goals in this game. DC United versus Orlando. DC United to win at plus 120. I don't like picking DCU normally, but Orlando's playing on the road and it's certainly going to be a mixed squad. All eyes on that CCL return leg versus Tigre is at home. Wayne Rooney's DC can ill afford to drop points at home. They just lost on the road. They looked woeful, by the way. So expect DC to come back big versus a mixed Orlando squad. So there's three bets for you right there to drop that bag. If you want to parlay the three, that's plus 1270. You bet $10, you get a $137 payout. Tata Martino is in the news again. <laughs> Love me some Tata Martino. He never disappoints. Recently sat down with Tami Arguelles, a South American reporter slash podcaster from Dallas, Texas, in what was actually a very good sit-down interview with Tata. But our main man, Tata, is getting roasted online. Among the many topics discussed were Tata passing blame for his abysmal outing in Qatar with El Tri, that blame being directed at Liga Mekis and the influx of foreign talents, and then in what many in the Mexican media are saying was Tata drooling over MLS, even citing that MLS was key in the MMA midfield. Yes, the MMA midfield for the U.S. men's national team, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney. What Tata never cited was his involvement in one of the worst moments in Mexican football in history, a dreadful World Cup qualifying campaign, Mexico not being able to beat Canada, the U.S., Costa Rica, in El Estadio Azteca, and capping it off by snapping a streak of getting out of the World Cup group phase for Mexico, a streak that dated back to 1986. Let us have a cold Bud Light for our man, Tata. Salud y adios, Tata. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Vamos, our very first episode. Don't forget, you can follow me on social media. That's at Hercules G, H-E-R-C-U-L-E-G, on Twitter, on Instagram, on all my social media handles. Thanks for joining us on this journey into the heart of soccer culture. We will be back every single Thursday starting next week. Until next time, keep the love for the game alive and kicking. Vamos. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami. There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Man. 
Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.